we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Dude, I've I've been hanging out with Jack Parsons since before Christmas. Yeah, this has like been two a, months now. Yeah, this has been a this has been a time. Mm-hmm. It's been it, I feel like I'm He's the phantom that's haunting your life right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um and it's wild that I get to Get to step aside for a while after yeah, after today, right? I, meanwhile, I'm, I'm being excited. haunted I'm by a 19th century free love sex cult. That you're being haunted. You're being totally, haunted by silverware. Let's totally not shit ourselves. Different type yeah, yeah, of yeah. haunting. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the silverware another yeah. day. Uh, <laughs> today we are on to part four of our Jack Parsons series, the conclusion of the story of John Whiteside Parsons. The exciting conclusion. It it, it is. <laughs> it's stuff. The very yeah. end's very exciting. I'm excited. Me too. I'm. I, I feel a lot of emotions. About I've been taken on on a journey as well. Yeah. You know, like we've been doing these Jack Parsons episodes. I've been watching that show on Netflix, Archive Eighty One. They brought up the Agape Lodge in that, and yeah. I was like, oh, oh, whoa! There's like stuff in that that overlapped with oh, dude, with our thing, and just in general stuff that I've come across that's overlapped with content from the series. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely one of those where you start noticing a lot of names mm-hmm. in a lot of places, and it yeah. just kind of keeps popping up. So, creeping and crawling into my consciousness, just like L. Ron Hubbard on top no. of Betty Northrop. Oh God, <laughs> creeping and crawling! I yeah. bet he's so itchy. Oh, I mean, he's like sweaty and hairy and itchy. Sticky slime. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> when we last left Jack, he had conjured a scarlet woman, Marjorie Cameron. And according to Jack, received a channeled book from the goddess Babylon, Liber 49. He called this, the, he said this was the fourth part of the book of the law, you know, Crowley's holy text, the holy text of Thalema. And it's so fun to imagine how pissed Crowley must have been at that. Oh, so yeah. pissed. He's fucking, he's so mad. Uh, Jack has like left the OTO, you know, temporarily left in the hands of another dude. Uh, I said, I need to, need some time. And he was also more interested in the AA, the more solitary monk-like wing of Thalema. The real secret society. No one mm-hmm. knows what AA stands for. It's all there's a lot of people that say that know what the what it stands there's for. There's theories out there's there. There's theories. One theory is that it doesn't stand for anything and that it's actually a filter to see who is bullshit and who's not, because if they tell you they know the definition, then it's They're lying. Yeah. They're a dirty liar. So Jack has sold the parsonage and moved into the coach house on the property, and he went into business with his good, good friend, his best friend, magical partner. L. Ron Hubbard. Perfect business partner. Yep. And his ex, Jack's ex-girlfriend, Betty Northrup. And the two of them have convinced Jack to, let's just count how many fucking bad mistakes Jack makes in a row right here. L. Ron and Betty convince him to abandon Ed Foreman and the dream of the Ad Astra Engineering Company. Bad idea. Um, bad idea. Give Hubbard and Betty all the money from selling the parsonage. Very bad idea. Why would you do such a thing? So that... Hubbard and Betty can go to Miami to buy three yachts, crew them, and sail them back through the Panama Canal to L.A. 
to sell them for higher prices in Dreamland of California. Ooh, we're going to Miami, baby. And four, he let them go alone. Oh. Yeah. Okay. He didn't go with them. No high seas adventure. No, well, we'll get to that. But first, uh, oh, oh, there is a high seas adventure. Kind of. A, there's almost. A, there's oh, a bit good. of. There's a bit of some. Sea, there's some ocean. All right, good. Yeah. Uh, let's do our terror pull. The yeah, final terror let's pull. do it. Yeah. Would you like to pull? Yeah, sure. Which deck shall I do it from? Keep the Thoth one going. It's. I think it's. The right thing to do. I think so. I think it's the Crowley thing to do. Alistair would be so fucking mad if we used any other tarot deck. Mm. He never even got to see that fucking thing published. It's crazy. Yeah, right? Really lame method of shuffling. I already shuffled it ten times. Yeah, but I and have now to... I put mine in, now you're putting yours in. I have in. to infuse so it... it with my energy. Yeah, but it's already been completely and totally randomized. Yeah. So, no need to worry about that. You just shuffle it around, you put however you need to put your thought vibrations in there. I'm gonna hold it to my heart, like um, yeah, like the oh, woman like that. on the Miami beach. We did just watch a fucking RV live. The, the, this fucking stupid live stream where these pieces of fucking dog shit human beings are getting their tarot cards read by this lovely ladies on the beach in yes. was it Miami? Were they? In yeah, the- they're in Miami, but these women a. were obviously from like Jersey or something. What god you get? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is fucking so stupid. Past, uh, <laughs> present, and future. <laughs> it's beautiful. So I'm going to hold it to my heart, just like yes. they did. Then I'm going to knock on it twice. Oh, God. Because that's how you do it. That's how you, that's how you do it. And I'm going spread it, to <laughs> spread it out, just like she did. Just like that. And then it's this one. Debauch. Seven of Cups. Seven of Cups. Okay. Okay. Seven of Cups, uh, debauch. That is debauchery. Yeah, it's that. It's also in the in the Rider Way. It's the um, the bunch of cups in the clouds, and one of them's the Holy Grail and shit. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, uh, Netzach on the Tree of Life, which is um, ruled by Venus. Netzach isn't necessarily like according to Crowley, it's not a pleasant place on the Tree of Life because things get less pleasant as they move it's from. It's a gather. place of illusions. Yes. Yes, exactly. Hedonism is a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is the illusion of hedonism and... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because a rainbow doesn't last forever, does it? It it surely does not. <laughs> <laughs> so they, there you have it, folks. All right. Well, all right. So we're going to interpret four cards at the end of this, the four we've pulled, which were the three of swords, the queen of cups, the nine of cups, and now the seven of cups. Mm-hmm. Lots of cups. A lot of cup, a lot, a lot of, of cup. a lot of watery, a lot of water, a lot of reflecting, a, ref- yeah. a, lot, a lot of, of I'm depths. Gonna, I'm gonna say a lot of feminine energy. Yeah. Yeah, and in I think that makes a lot about of sense with rockets and explosives. I think I think it's gonna yeah. make a lot of sense by the end of this one. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, but we'll save that interpretation for a bit. Debauch. Later. Debauch. Yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so. Jack has let Elron and Betty just fly to Miami with $22,000, something like that. Everything he had. He doesn't even have a big old house anymore. Mm. Right? He could have just kept that and been all right. But nah. Yeah, nah. Nah, he's going to sell it and give it all to fucking Elron. Yeah, and like, 
it's not like he was getting encouragement from anyone. It's not like anyone was like, yes. Literally everyone in his life knew that was the worst idea you could ever fucking do. Right. Everyone was probably, I imagine, telling him not to do it. They were dumbfounded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like straight up, they were fucking like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. What? <laughs> <laughs> Jack was in the throes of mania and Elrond was feeling particularly villainously insane after the Babylon working. And like, I swear to God, and like people around him said this too. Like they, they were like, something changed after that. Like something he was got a, into him. Elrond was a different person after that. Not in the way, like he was always a piece of shit and a bastard, but he wasn't nearly as effective and like full on nuts, not giving a shit. Right? Yeah. Uh, they just thought he was a wheezy little fucking liar. Well, once you channel, you know, the goddess of chaos and destruction. The mother of abominations. (laughs) Right. You might kind of stop giving a fuck. Mm -hmm. But it's a definite turning point with L. Ron Hubbard. Mm -hmm. And like, it's really hard to say if Scientology would have happened without the Babylon working. It's fucked up. Shit's crazy. That's for a different episode. Now, unbeknownst to Jack, L. Ron, who's still technically in the Navy, he's just, he's been making periodic trips to the VA hospital to keep getting certified to keep collecting disability checks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, this is a fucking piece of shit. Oh my God. He wrote a letter to the chief of Navy personnel requesting permission to leave America to visit South and Central America to collect writing material for Allied en- Enterprises. So he was telling Jack, yeah, I'm just going to sail it back through the Panama Canal. Meanwhile, he's telling the Navy, hey, I got to leave the country, go down to Central and South America. And uh, collect writing material. Collect writing material. Yeah. Okay. Because the, the agreement was that like, oh, we're going to pool all the money we make together in this holding company and then use it to invest more shit. So me with my writing and you with your explosives, like that's that's what we'll do. So he's collecting, yeah, writing for, you know, it's complete all, it's all fucking bullshit. He's just saying shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. D- does that collecting writing material that just means going places and writing about it or yeah. what getting okay. inspired and writing a story yeah i mean dude wrote a, he did l ron hubbard wrote a fuck ton man i want to get paid to just go places and be inspired by it we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> patience my friend yeah just, we're playing the long That's game it's a pretty here. good gig i gotta mm-hmm. say hell yeah i mean there's an aspect of l ron i respect mm. you know mm. just a tiny one teeny but tiny I, one i can't I don't like it, but I can't not respect it. Yeah. You know, I'd destroy him given half a chance, but. (laughs) He probably wouldn't be too hard to destroy. I don't know, man. He did a lot. I feel like a lot of people must have wanted to destroy him. On his his own, like without any of his his cronies or like his supporters to back him up, just like him one-on-one, he can't be too tough. Cool. Depends when you... At what time you approach him, I guess. What year? Let's get into it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, Ron and Betty leave. Now that Jack is out of, as George Pendle puts it, the, end quote, direct beam of Hubbard's charisma, which is a nice way to say it. Uh, the direct beam of Hubbard's charisma. Well, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. So, Jack actually starts to suspect something. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, might be a little off about his new business partners. There's something like, weird about this sweaty ginger. Dude, seriously, uh, right when they leave, and it's literally like he's just not being sweet-talked by Elrond, he's like, oh, fuck. I'm fucked. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, as the weeks passed, like, his explosives work was grinding to a halt. 
because he had no money for supplies. He literally gave it all to them. Mm. Um, he had no money for fucking anything else either. Dude was flat broke. Um, he told his friends he was starting to starting to worry. And he he's like, oh, I don't know, something's wrong. It's been a few weeks. I haven't heard anything. Like, yeah, uh, this was a bad idea. So he, he, so he's telling his friends that like he's he's gonna persuade Hubbard and Betty to come back, write him a letter, send a telegram, whatever, and that he's gonna dissolve Allied Enterprises. Of course, like shortly after coming to this very obvious conclusion, yeah. um, Elrond calls Jack out of the blue. Uh, collect, of course, he calls him collect. Jack has to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> calls him from Miami. And as soon as Jack's on the phone with Elrond, his attitude immediately shifts from anger and distrust to acquiescence and an almost oh, come on. And an almost childlike respect. What the fuck is going on here? Dude, Lewis Culling, who is a member of the OTO, said he was shocked to hear Jack uh, end quote eating out of Ron's hand. And Jack ended the phone call. By saying, I hope we shall always remain partners. Oh my God. Are you fucking kidding me, Jack? It's like, okay, I don't know. Your it's friends, insane. Your friends all pissed off. They're like, I'm going to go in there and give them a fucking piece of my Dude, mind. I'm going to beat their fucking ass. And then you yeah. watch your friend like go into wherever this uh, imaginary fight is taking place. And then they come out and they're like, oh yeah, we're good. Don't don't worry about it. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what the... F- what was all that then? Right. No, dude, it's it's so <laughs> confusing to me. Like, you know, I mean, like Jack did definitely have this pattern of just like trusting people. Right. Like, but or getting swayed like by comp. But this is something he also else. he knows because as yeah. soon as he's out, you know, as soon as he has time to independently think about it. Right. He has that change of heart and he has this like fury within him because he's not fucking stupid. He's actually he knows. really goddamn smart. He knows. But for some reason, he has some loyalty and respect for but hubbard this is well because he saw hubbard as a fucking equal right and he also cares about betty i imagine he does for some goddamn reason mm-hmm. he's just he's easily charmed yeah he's really easily charmed and he's very charming and he, he also, might have a hard time just like saying no to people yeah too. yeah it's just like and also this is l ron hubbard we're dealing with yeah it's it's l ron hubbard like he did become a god of some a fucking deception and manipulation and like mm-hmm. Scientology is fucking huge Tom Cruise is in it this is L. Ron Hubbard <laughs> Tom Cruise he's had a fleet of ships at one point so you gotta cut Jack a little slack on that count a lot of people were charmed by Hubbard exactly like, you know, we can laugh at him now but like <laughs> clearly a lot of people were taken in by it so it, he's the most extreme example of like you are either completely repulsed by him or completely charmed. You know, he's either gotcha completely or you think he's a slimy ginger. Yeah. Mm. Much like yourself. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like me. Yeah. Uh, ooh, that's, that's gotcha. <laughs> Burn. Gotcha. Damn. And, I can't even disagree, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lewis Calling, who heard that uh, phone call, he he's dumbstruck he's flabbergasted he's doesn't he's confused so he writes to fucking carl germer crowley's debt collector and crowley and he writes him he says ron and petty have bought a boat for themselves at miami florida for about ten thousand dollars and are living the life of riley while brother john is living at rock bottom and i mean rock bottom 
It appears that originally they never intended to bring this boat around to California coast to sell it a profit, as they told Jack, but rather to have a good time on it on the East Coast. And that's the letter that made Crowley write to Carl Germer and call Jack a weak fool and Hubbard and Betty prowling swindlers. Wow. Yeah. So Crowley's basically like, well, he made his bed. Oh, yeah, very much so. At this point, Crowley is at the beginning of the irreversible process of giving up on Jack completely. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, But at this point, it seems that Crowley's pull on Jack was actually more intense than Hubbard's because this is what finally made Jack see what was actually happening and like actually happening. Well, that's good. Yeah. Too little too late, but still good. Yeah. Better late than never. Better late. I mean, yeah. But it is, I'm glad that, like, he did realize all of it all at one, get fucking mad and realize that L. Ron Hubbard's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because he is. Like, but with the very last of, after this, he had zero. The last of his money, Jack bought a plane ticket to Miami at the end of June 1946. And this is the only time we really see Jack Parsons fucking pissed. <laughs> He's fucking angry. You love to see it. Yeah. Check this shit out. Ron and Betty had been busy. They bought not one, but three yachts. The Harpoon, the Blue Water 2, and Diane. Blue Water 2. Yeah, this is one of those dumb boat names. It's really stupid. Fucking got drunk and fucked up Blue Water 1. Diane. Diane? (laughs) Diane's kind of cool. Diane? um, Fuck with Diane. So, they had these three fucking yachts, and they were only, Ron and Betty, were only waiting for L. Ron's last fucking disability check from the Navy. Before setting sail. (laughs) So, but he's not disabled at all. He's just not. He's fine. They weren't expecting John Whiteside Parsons on the goddamn warpath. So, Jack checked into a cheap Miami motel and started going around to all the marinas and and yacht clubs looking for any information. Hey, you see a fucking, you see an Elrond come through here. A a dude who just should not be with. He's recognizable too. Yes. You describe the duo, and like, there's no mistaking who they are. Absolutely not. Um, and they're, you know, all the two of them are fresh off a fucking magic hellstorm, yeah. right? You know, they're weird people. These are all very unique. Yes. And You're not going to forget them. Yeah. Um, so Jack easily, tra- well, not easily, but by the end of the day, he traced the sail of the harpoon to the harbor it was supposedly parked at. And he got there and Betty and Elron are nowhere to be found. And neither is the harpoon. Uh, on July 1st, Jack managed to like get the cops involved and he placed a temporary injunction and restraining order on on Hubbard and Betty to stop them from leaving the country, right? Selling the yachts or touching any of the assets belonging to Allied Enterprises. Like he had the records of the ship now, he had of the boat now, and he could get the law involved, right? Mm-hmm. So he did. And Jack spent four days pacing around his hotel room before he got a call from the Marina. Four days. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Like, whoa. Elron had somehow heard of Jack's presence in Miami, which is just funny. They're hearing it from some marina worker or something. Yeah. Like some guy was looking for you. Did he have a weird mustache and kind of smell bad and like shake a lot? Yeah. Um, Like, yeah, actually I did. Was he wearing a suit? (laughs) Was he wearing a fucking tweed suit? Yep, he sure was. Is it? They describe it in detail because it's the same suit. The same one. Remember, Jack Parsons is always in a suit. Still, yeah. So Elrond somehow heard of Jack's presence, and using Jack's goddamn money, Elrond paid a crew to rig up the double-masted harpoon 
And Elrond and Betty were currently, at that very moment, sailing out of the harbor and into the high seas. At that very moment. They're in the water. And, like, they're kind of far out. They're like... Are we going on a high seas adventure? No. Oh. Now, a normal person would be powerless to stop them. Mm-hmm. They're gone. But this is not a normal person. <laughs> this is Jack Parsons. If we haven't established that already. Jack Parsons is a powerful fucking wizard. Mm-hmm. He did come armed to the fucking teeth. So he takes his chalk. Oh, he came he with the chalk. Dons his wizard robe. He takes the chalk and whatever other makeshift magical weapons he had on him. Jack Parsons armed to the fucking teeth with stage props in a shit motel in Miami. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Just a trunk dragging it along. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Oh, God, it'd be so good. I d- Dragging like, it, it onto the beach. <laughs> no, he's just in his motel room. He doesn't, that's his temple for the moment. Oh, good. Yeah, he doesn't need to go look at him or anything. He draws a magic circle, some talismans, and performs a full evocation of Bartzabel, the spirit of Mars, the entity that enacts Mars's will upon Action. the world. War. Action, violence. war, violence. Yeah, the tower, right? Yeah. I was going to pull a snippet from the ritual, but it's like f- actually fucking long. Uh, really long and mostly just technical bullshit that mm-hmm. I don't understand. So He's just invoking Im- war. So just imagine Jack Parsons in a robe, kneeling in the circle, chanting Hebrew and yelling at the sky, fully tranced out in gnosis, perhaps pulling a blade across his palm as a blood sacrifice because that was that is a variation that's part of something you can do. Is mm-hmm. you have blood to that? The ritual is long and they're literally sailing away. So like they're they don't know he's doing this. Yeah. And they're even further out. He has to get this right. He has one shot of this. And as he finishes and like slumps down exhausted and knows it's finished, I shit you not. I fucking shit you not. At the very same moment, a storm kicked up out of goddamn nowhere and broke the masts on the fucking harpoon. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hubbard and Betty are fucking stranded. In the middle of the goddamn water, no sails, because a fucking squall blew out of goddamn nowhere at the very moment Jack finished. Controlling the weather. Everything that Mark Prophet wishes that he could yeah. do. I mean, this right here is like that spooky, spooky shit that Jack has been wanting his whole fucking life. Yeah. Right? He had to get angry. He had, it was like, that's, he's very close with L. Ron Hubbard. Or at he least had to he get angry at some point. Like, it's yeah. been long overdue. Absolutely. He's been far too tolerant of yeah. far too much. And, yeah. And he writes Crowley and, and tells him and shit. Crowley doesn't fucking care at this point. But he tells him the whole, like, I did the Bartzabell thing. And fucking as far as I can... He, he doesn't say, like, at the very same moment. He says, to the best of what I can ascertain, it happened, you know near to the very same time I I did this. So he like went looking to see exactly what time it happened and shit, right? And the fucking Coast Guard or the authorities have to tow Elrond and Betty back to the harbor and Jack Parsons is just fucking standing there, right? Which is like, imagine Elrond at that point. He just had a storm fucking beat up that boat and he gets pulled back and he's looking right at the dude he fucking conned. Like that's, it's a powerful fucking scene. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm impressed by that. (laughs) <laughs> it's impressive it's fucking impressive of course it's really like an oh shit right moment. it's almost the first oh shit moment right yeah. that's yeah in in that it's just a kind of very clear cut and like because mm-hmm. because before we just saw him like talk talking nonsense in the desert and like they're 
it's sp- definitely spooky, but I can see how you'd be like, right. That's but now dumb the, shit. Yeah. the power of his anger has really led him to like creating an imprint in Hubbard's life. Yeah. In this moment. Yeah, 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 for sure. But of course, Jack still fucking loses here. Yeah. He fucking loses big time. A judge ordered Hubbard to give uh, Jack a IOU for $2,900. Just over 10% of what Elrond conned Jack out of. And Jack agreed not to press for anything further um, because Betty threatened to press charges against him due to how their relationship started. She was 17 when it started. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. So Jack gets just under three grand. That's it. Okay. Yep. A month later, Elrond and Betty were married. Hmm. Yeah. Well, good Good, good for, for them. them. <laughs> it didn't work out great. Yeah, right? Good for them. And this was disastrous to Jack. I mean, like, he needed that 20 grand. Mm-hmm. He fucking did. He has three grand and is renting a coach house, whereas, like, a couple months ago, he had a fucking mansion in Pasadena. How, f- how quickly and how far they fall. Don't trust Elrond Hubbard. No, I mean that's the whole Scientology thing. Is like they'll they'll take all of your money so fucking quickly. It's, right, it's literally like, that. It's, it's so quickly. <laughs> as soon it's as amazing, you, as soon as you step in there, yeah, they're trying to like sell you the books and the oh, do you want to like sit in on a course? You want to watch a video? Yeah, dude. I don't know. It's like it's it's wild to see that. Just like the genesis of that, fucking crazy, but. It was disastrous to Jack and to Wilfred and Helen, too, whom Jack had still been financially supporting. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I didn't get why everyone hated Wilfred at first, but like now I'm starting to see it. Because like, where are you like years into this and yeah. you're still Wilfred, just letting... would you get a job? Get a fucking job, dude. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be some wizard or something? Could like, you conjure up some money, maybe? Maybe he's just an asshole. I don't know. There's, there's varying opinions on Wilfred Smith. I don't want to judge a man because... Varying opinions, but like, I don't think Jack should have been supporting him. Wilfred should have gotten a job. Jack seemed far too willing to just support people. Yeah. He was just very freely giving with his fucking money. Yeah. Yeah. I think he probably viewed it as a way to form bonds and like strengthen relationships. Of course. Yeah. Because I mean, he had that growing up as a kid when he had the fortune. And yeah, money is the thing that you use to show care. And that's how him and Ed were able to blow up the rockets and shit. Mm-hmm. He saw that, his, Jack saw that money It makes was things a, possible. Yeah, and it, it was, it had an emotional effect. He saw that from an early age and that's it's just- It's a currency of, of power. Yeah. And of care too, you know? Yeah. It's a very powerful talisman. Yeah, I mean, I've always said that like money is like the best example of something truly magical because it is mm-hmm. an imaginary thing that- has very real consequences. Yes. You the know? value that we assign to it is completely arbitrary. Right. I mean, the, the the actual material basis of it is fucking paper. And even that's going the way of the fucking yeah. buffalo. It's totally an imaginary. Thing. Yes. It's just yeah. an imaginary contract yeah. that we've all opted into and like agreed that, oh yeah, this is a thing. I guess yep. we're going to form our it's uh, com- economy around this. It's completely imaginary, <laughs> but yet it allows for all of the things an economy allows for. Yep civilization rockets here's the thing just because something's imaginary doesn't mean it's not real precisely (laughs) i mean that's i mean that's magic yes that that is you know there you go there you go it's a fucking secret thetans they're not real but how many people have lost their fortunes Mm -hmm. (laughs) absolutely the thetans yeah jack uh he got back to pasadena a shattered man 
He wrote a final letter to Crowley, formally now announcing his resignation the from final the one. He'd write one more, but this was his like formal his resignation. resignation from yeah. the OTO. And this time, Crowley accepted it. And he was like, yeah, you want to quit? Fucking almost, you know, thank God. It's your time. Cool. Yeah. It's your time to go. Jack wasn't done with Salema. And in fact, he continued sending money to Crowley until Crowley's death. He never that's, stopped, even when Crowley nice. had fucking was done with him. I don't know if it's nice, but he believed in it. It's him. interesting. It's interesting, yeah. At the very least. But Jack was mostly just disillusioned with the fraternal order system and the clicky mm-hmm. groupness of the OTO, which remember is only a was a vehicle for Thalema. It is Thalema would exist without the OTO and did for a long time. Like, and does. It's, it's, and does. Well, the OTO is still around, but it's not like it's not a key part. It's just a fraternal yeah. order. Right. You know? And has politics and drama and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Jack realized he didn't want that. He had done that. Right. He had done that quite a lot with a lot of different groups. And now he's fucking, he's done. And I, like, I appreciate that. And throughout 1946, Jack had been working on more than just getting o- just getting fucked over by L. Ron Hubbard. Like, that wasn't everything, you know? It, Things happened slower back in the There's day. There's more to life than getting yeah. fucked over by L. Ron Hubbard. He'd also written the rough draft of an essay titled Freedom is a Two-Edged Sword, which I've talked about. This is one of the few surviving pieces of writing from Jack Parsons. This dude is one of my favorite fucking writers. Mm-hmm. He is so goddamn good. Like, not just as like, oh, wow, did you know this dude could write? He's a fucking excellent writer. I, it's And not a lot survives, but Freedom is a Two-Edged Sword and other essays... I'm just going to say, read this fucking book. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's about 30 pages, just the essay Freedom is Two-Edged Sword. You can find it online. It's at once clear, cutting, and poetic. The best piece of libertarian propaganda that has ever been made in like the old sense, not the fucking jackasses, <laughs> you know, nowadays. The, Please had, no steppy. Yeah, no step on snack and shit. Um, had Jack lived longer, he almost certainly would have come to be recognized as a fantastic writer and philosopher in his own right. Dude could write like a motherfucker. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of uh, I'm gonna read some of this right now because I think like I th- I feel like Jack's philosophy and writing and ideas are often lost in the spectacle of rocketry and occultism. Yeah, he did a whole lot of stuff. Right, and to me, and probably because I'm a writer, right? Like a lot of his writing is the stuff I love him for. I respect the shit out of it. It impresses me. I'm like, God damn, dude, holy shit, like. It's fucking sick, you know? I think it gives the greatest insight into him as a person, too. In a way, it almost doesn't because of how good of a writer he is. He's very forceful with his writing. He doesn't, he's not really letting you in. But that also exposes a lot about him at the same time. It for sure does. So even though he's not maybe that forthright, in that restrainedness, that that also communicates a lot. Because I think the way that someone writes does expose a lot about them i'm gonna i'm gonna describe i'm gonna get into a very just a second but i want to call it a like type of violent poetry to the way he writes (laughs) sweet yeah so yeah this is from freedom is two-edged sword much of our modern thought is characterized by pretenses and evasions by appeals to ultimate authorities which are illiberal superstitious and reactionary often we are not aware of these thought processes we accept ideas authorities catchphrases and conditions without troubling to think or investigate. Yet these things may conceal terrible traps. We accept them as right because they have a surface agreement with the things in which we believe. We welcome the man who is for liberalism, against communism, 
without troubling to inquire what else he is for or against. In our blindness, we leave ourselves open to exploitation, regimentation, and war. Tumultuous developments in science and society demand a new clarity of thought, a re-examination, and a reenactment of principles. It is not sufficient that a principle is sacred because it is time-worn. It must be examined, tried, and tested in the fires of our new needs. In our law, in our social and international relations, we are guilty of a myriad of barbarisms and superstitions. These things are tolerated simply because they exist, because we have become used to them, and because it is often unpleasant to face facts. The principle developed herein is very simple. The liberty of the individual is the foundation of civilization. No true civilization is possible without this liberty, and no state, national or international, is stable in its absence. The proper relation between this liberty on the one hand, and social responsibility on the other, is the balance which will assure a stable society, and by no other means, short of the total annihilation of individuality, can this be attained. There is no further possible evasion of nature's immemorial ultimatum, change or perish. Out of Versailles, a faint voice crying, time will be. Out of Paris today, the voice of trumpets proclaiming, time is. But tomorrow the voice of the whirlwind shouting, time has been. Against that time, a sword. Sweet. Yeah. It's, that parallels so much of what we were talking about it, it before does. we started recording, yeah, it, too. That's it, really crazy. It does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I noticed that and didn't have a way to acknowledge it as it was happening. <laughs> that's... Yeah, that's very, very close to what we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And, like, this is also right after the Babylon working, which is, like, the height of Jack's fucking insanity. And the ability... The, just that he could write that clearly at that time. And, I don't know, it's it's impressive. Um, and this part... Well, and it's he's also communicating a, a take on life that is a bit unconventional. And in 1946... Right, which is, hey, um, what what if I just don't form any opinions? What if I just turn my back on authority and question everything? Well, he's and he's he's talking about like active distrust, active investigation, and, and yeah. filtering, which is something that he doesn't he doesn't practice in his own life, or like fails at many times, right? With L, like with Elrond and shit and all that. But it's also like the proto beatnik proto fucking hippie punk rock shit like Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of people writing like this and thinking like this in 1946 yeah much less than there were in 1966 1956 even right and this this part is from the uh last chapter which is titled the woman girt with a sword he does get into some like crazy guy who's been talking to a made-up goddess in the desert type shit a little bit in this in this essay well, i'm not gonna read awesome. but like so. of course he does you know because yeah. it was it just happened you know it's, it's, but yeah so it is to you woman beautiful lost redeemer of the race that i dare address this chapter that which stirs in you now is not madness is not sin is not folly but is life new life and joy and fire that will beget a new race and create a new heaven and a new earth when you were a child did not the wind speak to you and the sun did you not hear the mountain's voice, the voices of the river and the storm? Have you not heard the tidings of the stars and the voices in the silence, ineffable? Have you not gone naked in the forest with the wind over your body and felt the caress of Pan? And your heart has swelled with spring, blossomed with summer, and saddened with the wolf of winter. These things are the covenant, and in them is the truth that is forever. And you have sought companions as high-hearted as yourself and found them not, save in elusive memories and dream and song. For you found a blight over the world a blight of silence and sorrow, 
and your companions walked in guilt and shame, in fear and hate, sin and the sorrow of sin, and you were alone. Ah, there was laughter, but a hectic laughter, pleasure but furtive pleasure, unsatisfied and ashamed, and now your heart is saddened. But be not sad, my beloved, be joyous and unafraid, for within you is the song that shall shatter the silence, the flame that will burn away the dross. That's very poetic. It's very poetic. And he goes on to essentially lay out a sort of manifesto for what you might pithily refer to now as witchiness. Mm-hmm. Like, and that is a current that owes a lot to a lot of the fucking... It, all right, the it's the simplest way to say it. Maybe I'll sound like an asshole, but make it very clear and simple. Festival hippie magic witchcraft shit. That current. Yeah. The fucking drug doing festival music listening to fucking groovy people current of magic and spirituality owes a lot to Jack Parsons. He was one of the first people to... He embraced a... At this point in his life, he started embracing a super... A, a sort of magical feminism that hadn't been embraced in the circles that people like Jack Parsons were in. Uh-huh. In Thelema, even though, you know... Thelema had... Crowley had a lot of fucking patriarchal hangups too, right? Yeah. And I mean, so did Jack Parsons for sure. But like this idea of folk magic being brought in and the divine feminine being an authority place so, in the new aeon and shit and like what i hear from the passages that you read is someone who thinks a lot about what it means to be alone with themselves yeah i really get the sense that he's thinking about well like what does it mean to be comfortable alone yeah yeah you know i don't know that's just like really what what I got he's sort of like in that passage addressed to you know the the woman yeah whichever woman all women all women all women is like how do you feel during those moments where it's just you and the world and the wind yeah you know like that can be your whole world like that can right. be right right how do you how did you feel as a child when you you know felt the sunlight yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, his... People, sort of beckoning people to think about, like, what does it mean to s- stand in your own power and just be, like, happy with yourself? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some people have talked about Jack Parsons having a sort of fundamentalist right. view of Thelema. And I think that might be right in a way. And I, I think that... And that is getting in touch with, with one's true will, right? Yes, yeah. And I, I think that's what appealed to Jay. I think he was someone it, who... It's also it's uncomfortable. Super sensitive to yeah. other people, to the opinions of other people. Am I doing this right? Am I going extremely? Am I yes. enough? You know? Yeah, extremely. And leading him to fucking dueling with Ed Ed Foreman in the goddamn desert, mm-hmm. like uncomfortable with himself, despite so it, being the it, rock star. It feels yeah. like he's exploring those ideas about, like, you know, here's all of the good parts about being alone with yourself, but also wait. It can it can be really overwhelming and, yeah. and terrifying and sorrowful as well. He's also coming to terms with his relationship to women. Mm-hmm. He's trying to understand that, and that's we haven't talked too much about Jack's relationship with Marjorie Cameron. No, we haven't. That's on purpose, and why I organized this the way that you things. have. Yes. So, you know, we know with Helen, Helen is the most important person in American rocketry. Like we just yeah. 
Um, Without her, it couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. It just wouldn't. Funding the whole fucking thing. the whole goddamn thing. Dad didn't have any fucking money. He didn't have a job. <laughs> and we know about Betty. Mm-hmm. We know about Jack's trustedness and his... Helen took care of him. Betty fucking took him for a ride. He doesn't have a mature and adult relationship with women until he meets Marjorie Cameron. And I feel like it's due to the relative maturity and relative normalcy of the relationship. Um, Marjorie or Candy, as she went by in those days, is unfairly sometimes seen as not being enough to fill the void left by either Helen or Betty. Mm -hmm. That's fucking stupid. Like, it's a really dumb fucking reading of, of all this. Like, Candy was not the same type of woman as Betty or Helen. She was independent. She was creative, assertive, sometimes fucking insane and erratic, but she didn't enable Jack's childlike bullshit. She didn't, she didn't tolerate it. Yeah. Right. They, and she didn't fuck with them either. Like, to some, the relationship seemed cold and lacking in the, like, probably pretty fucking obnoxious, actually, like, outward displays of affection that had characterized Jack's previous relationships. It's like with Helen and Betty, like, they're always making out, you know, especially with Betty, like, making out in front of everybody. Yeah. Right? People thought, like, I don't know if they're actually together. Is Jack actually gay? Like, you know, shit like that. Like, it's like, no, they're just growing up. Yeah. Jack's just growing up a fucking bit. And this crazy bitch is helping him. Because she was fucking crazy fucking <laughs> asshole, man. But, like, maybe the craziest. But seems, like, way healthier and, like, healthier and actually helpful to mm-hmm. Jack as a person. And it was her influence. Because she didn't know anything about magic or anything. And Jack taught her that as they were together. Would you say that she had a decent ability to assert boundaries? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Maybe not the best, but like she could. Yeah. You know, better than most at this time, yeah. you know? Um, and like, even though Jack felt that he conjured her, right? Like, his, it was the answer to his fucking, his ritual God. and shit. She would start to think that Jack conjured her after, after he died and in her later life. She goes fucking nuts, um, unfortunately. Um, but she naturally had an affinity for it and like she was really interested in it but like she knew how to compartmentalize all of it and yeah. I think that was super helpful but like after Candy told Jack that a group of kids had become afraid of her uh, and like run away saying look a witch a witch and shit because she had she was also ginger and her hair was shock red uh-huh. Like fucking flaming red. It's insane how red this woman's hair was. Um, and Jack started endearingly referring to her as his witch. And That's they, sweet. They wrote a book of poetry together called Songs for the Witch Woman. That's pretty good. It's pretty fucking wow. good. And some of those poems are very sensual. They're fucking, you know, beautiful. it's like, no, they they just weren't showing you what they were, you know. And it was fucking Candy's influence that brought out that, like, feminist side of Jack Parton's magic mm-hmm. and shit. And that's, they, the two of them would start working on actually developing a new system of magic based on Thalema, but also based on folk traditions and, and shit called the witchcraft um, that they'll get into uh, later on. So they were married within a year of meeting each other. Too very very quickly, and they actually left Pasadena and moved into uh, Manhattan Beach, mm-hmm. uh, just another area of California. So Zach is like, you know, literally leaving the home, the comfortable home place, yeah, with her and shit, and like going to new territory, yeah. And uh, as as Jack interested her more and more in magic, uh, she in turn painted him uh, 
these huge portraits, like a portrait of Dr. John D, uh, and another w- which is a a portrait of Betty um, with her legs cut off above okay. <laughs> above the knees. Yeah, just are very like, look, sure. I drew your fucking yeah. So like I said, a little bit insane. Despite like Candy's interest in the occult, uh, she also found Parsons' deep uh, reliance on magic bemusing. One day, she recalled a windstorm blew off the sea. Uh, she says, it blew the French doors open and everything was blowing and I'm yelling and I'm yelling and can you imagine I'm running around trying to close the windows and Jack goes upstairs with his dagger to stop the wind. Mm. That was Jack Parsons' solution, not close the windows. I'll go stop the wind. Well, that's what makes him feel better, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, sure. Yeah. That's absolutely that's how is. she referred to it, Yeah. Jack wrote in his memoir, Candy appeared to answer your call in order to wean you from wet nursing. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ed Foreman's wife, Jean, uh, said that Candy's arrival changed a lot of things and Jack wasn't acting the way he used to. She said he was withdrawn. Not as, just not as gregarious, outgoing. And yeah, his, she said his relationship with Candy seemed distant and lacking the intensity he'd shared with Betty. Just sounds like... It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, Bob Cornog, the nuclear scientist who lived there uh, at 1003 uh, Orange Grove, said that they did they, they did not make dif- differences or affinities public. They were two very independent people living together. That's not a good. Bad, it's a good thing, Bob. That's, That's good. a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, as they moved out there, it seemed like Jack was trying to put the whole magical fiasco, the OTO and everything behind him. He started selling his vast library of Crowley books and just like kind of shuffling it off, you know, and he kind of, he just stopped contacting the other members of the OTO. Mm. He was done. He was, however, content with rocket work again. He's, he got a job working at the North America, at North American Aviation. Back to rockets. Yeah. 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 He, uh, on their government funded Navajo missile program. And he was still friendly with his rocket friends. He didn't cut them out at all. Yeah. Like, those were his, his buddies. Like, They're the OTO, like, he, you know, like, ah, you know, away from that. Yeah, like. Rockets are never going away. Andrew Haley, the CEO of uh, Aerojet Corporation, the uh, Falstaffian. Yeah. <laughs> drunk bastard who, like, would make Jack do the uh, him to pan and shit on the balcony. Falstaffian. Yes. Um, so there's, like, home videos that show, like. Thank you for reminding me of that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten and I, I wanted to know again. Yeah. So there's like videos of uh, home videos of parties at Andrew Haley's house, like birthday parties for kids and shit that show like Jack Parsons and Ed Foreman and Andrew Haley all playing leapfrog together while Candy's playing with Haley's oh, children shit. and shit. I want to play leapfrog. Yeah. And like she's striking a fencing pose with a stick and shit. And, yeah. Um, remember Frank Molina? Yes. Yeah. Of course I do. Yeah. He's doing okay. All right. Uh, Good. Like the rest of the Rocketeers, not Glad great. To hear it. Not great. <laughs> yeah, but he's still he's above ground, so he's good. So the Red Scare had started to reach a fever pitch in the late forties, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and being the communist guy in the Suicide Squad, uh, Frank Molina was aware that people were starting to ask more and more questions about his past and shit. You yeah, know, this is like right before McCarthy and shit. And uh, yeah, as Scooby Doo would say, um, he was the last of the original members to sell his stock in the Aerojet Corporation. Mm-hmm. Meaning, at this point, he held out. He had a bunch of fucking money, Kill. a bunch of fucking money. Um, 
You go, Mr. Molina. Which is ironic considering he's the communist. And he made out with the most money. Hey. Yeah, I've seen it happen before. Um, but Jack and Frank remained friends. Uh, and Frank Molina moved to Europe in 1946 to pursue art. He, his wife also left him. I forgot that part. Yeah. Mm. His wife left him. Good time to move to Europe and pursue art. Yeah. He actually became really successful as an artist. That's sweet. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, in 1947. How old was he? Oh, she was two years older than Jack. And Jack is 1946. He's fucking 32. Cool. It's fucking my age. Yeah. Yeah. I just. It's almost like I feel like I'm talking about like older guys at the end of their career. They're my age. Right. They've just done a fuck ton. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Joe, he's slowing down in his old age and shit. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, because he lived four lives already. Yeah. You know? In 1947, Candy was making plans to go to Europe to study as a painter, too, because I guess everyone's just going to fucking yeah, Europe. Yeah, let's go to Europe yeah. and be an artist. Why not? Uh, Jack suggested that while she was there, she might go study with Uncle Al if Crowley would, ha- would take her. He really doesn't realize that Crowley's Crowley's only mentions of him in letters for the last year had basically said that Crowley thought himself a fool for ever seeing anything in Jack and that Jack yeah. was essentially dead to him. No, but Jack still sees them as, you know, their buddies. Right. Uh, he's still sending him money. Yeah. Meanwhile, Cro- Crowley's writing this shit. Uh, about JWP, all I can say is that I'm very sorry. I felt sure that he had fine ideas, but he was led astray firstly by Smith, then he was robbed of his last penny by a confidence man named Hubbard. Further, he wrote, I have no further interest in Jack and his adventures. He is just a weak-minded fool and must go to the devil in his own way. Requiescat in passe, which is Ooh. Latin for rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Not knowing it. seal delivered. Yeah, no, Mr. Crowley, Crowley was Mr. Fucking, yeah. Do it. Mm, yeah, I got to do it. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Thank you. Um, and not knowing any of this, Jack wrote to Crowley for the first time in a year and was like, hey, my girlfriend, my, my wife's going to Europe. Do you think it would be cool? Well, actually, he stressed. He was like, yeah, I was really fucked up for a while. I got taken for everything I had. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. I'm embarrassed and fucking this. Yeah. I'm slowly trying to rebuild myself and become a human again, essentially. Also, yeah. my wife's going to Europe. She's interested. Could she stop by and learn a thing or two from you? You know. Um, Jack never heard back from him because on December 1st, 1947, the great beast 666 shuffled off his mortal coil and rejoined the womb of Babylon. Man's dead. Crowley done. He out of here. Mr. Crowley. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Crowley's dead. He's fucking dead. Which is, that's an interesting time for a religion founded by a man. Uh huh. You know? You know, he's dead, but he's still here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. He's. He never left. He never left. He was here before he was even fucking born. Yep. He had already the given. The great beast. He's, he had given himself the uh, grade of uh, Ips, Ipsissimus, which is essentially ascended master. The highest yeah. that, that you uh, could yeah. get. 
total control over time like, and space. Like I love and shit. that. Like giving yourself an A plus. It's fucking great. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so I'm gonna found my own religion so that I can be the master of it. Yeah. You know, he did an alright job. Yeah. Yeah. He did a fucking great job. He really Crowley. cemented his place in there. You know, he did it. Crowley, you did a good job. He did it. Well, the thing you were trying to do, you did a good job at it. Yep. I don't know if I like it. I like a lot some of, of it. Some of it's I pretty don't like disgusting. A lot of it, but which I think was the point. So you did. Yeah, it. he did there you it. Go. Um, and you know, at this point, it seems like Jack is at the beginnings of an actual semi-respectable life. Um, Jack never I'll, ate his own shit or anyone else's, or did he? Did he? No. Okay. Well, maybe got that. No, we can't do it two two episodes in a row. We can't. We can't. Um, Special treat. Yeah. And like, you know, Jack's also, he's keeping tabs on Elrond and Betty too. He hears about him and shit. He'll know about the oh, writing of Dianetics I'm sure and shit. that Hubbard is keeping tabs on him too. Absolutely. Hubbard, Hubbard does go insane. Though like the next few years of Hubbard's life are pretty fucked up. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I, I almost, I think Jack does ends up better. Like in this time period, Jack's doing better. So that is a victory. Jack gets a more noble demise. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. But like right now, Jack's working for another company just as rocket guy, which is sick. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not special dream child, man. He's just rocket dude. He's just 32 year old fucking rocket expert. Right. That's sick. Working on fucking military projects again. He's given talks on rockets and stuff. He's coming back into the fucking, into real life, right? Yeah. Wasn't going to last though, because there's no such thing as real life. And if you think Joe McCarthy and the House on american Activities Committee wasn't coming for Jack Parsons, that's dumb. Wrong. Of course, Of course they were, right? Uh, like the rest of the Rocketeers, Jack was investigated and stripped of his security clearance because of his, end quote, subversive character, including <laughs> involvement- in an advocacy of sexual perversion in the OTO. You're a weirdo. You're a fucking weirdo. Uh, he, in a letter to Carl Germer, Jack speculated- You're illegally weird. You're illegally- <laughs> you're, un- <laughs> you're a fucking you're a pervert. You're a threat to yourself, a, those around you, and national security. We have security. a file on you, you pervert. <laughs> well, check this out. He, he speculated to Carl Germer in a letter he wrote him in 1949. That was because of, um, it was because of, his public dissemination of Crowley's Lieber Oz, which is the one that lists like the rights of of man and ends with like the rights the to ca- kill. Yeah. To, yeah. However, declassified FBI documents later revealed that the FBI's primary concern was Parsons' former connections to Marxists at Caltech and no his shit. and his membership of the end quote subversive ACLU. Yeah. Right. The feds literally did not give a shit about occultism. That was the thing they did not care about. <laughs> what they cared about was commies and the ACLU. Like, honestly, pro- not a big threat, probably. Of course. It makes sense. Of course, yeah. aren't actually, like, if you, the F- the feds have seen way weirder shit than you have. Yeah. Right? Like, they're not phased by it. They don't care. Uh-huh. It's not a thing. They don't care. Oh, you're fuck. doing your little ritual. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh, cute. That's cute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're fucking FBI sunglasses and shit. Like, mm-hmm. Nah, ritual. Nah. Yeah. They cared about associating with Marxists, though. The fact that Jack wasn't even a member of the fucking Communist Party and, like, stopped going when he, to the meetings when it got communist. Like, that was... Yeah, I'm, you know, 
I kind of understand why he was on their radar, but it also seems like the what he's not a threat at all in that regard. So I think he seemed like he fucking. I think Jack but seemed he like also, he had loose lips. He's really smart with rockets and explosives, so you know I could understand being a, wary of he's him. He's an extremely dangerous man. Yeah, <laughs> Jack Parsons like he, Jack Parsons is an extremely dangerous man. Yes, <laughs> if he wanted to break that, Jesus Christ, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, I'm glad they did have a file on him. To be perfectly honest, you know <laughs> you got to be careful when someone knows how to fucking make rockets. When someone could just. Blow shit up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they got Ed Foreman too. Mm. And uh, Ed's stepdaughter remembered that Ed had a really hard time doing anything after that because, like, it's just Ed. Yeah. He's just the guy that builds rockets. He's just, just like along for the occultism ride with Jack because it's fucking Jack. And what are you going to do? It's fun. Mm-hmm. You know? He's not a communist. Right. Ed Foreman's not a fucking communist. But they got him and he had a really hard time. And his fucking daughter. She didn't really do anything at that point. Just spent a lot of time sitting on the roof flying kites. That <laughs> feels like it's out of like a Wes Anderson I, I movie or really, something. Really, I don't know. Really, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it feels like. Uh, so kicked out of American engineering again and not for the last time, Jack wrote to Theodore von Karman about getting employment in rocketry abroad. Von Karman told him he would help, but times had changed and Jack Kind of literally now needed to learn fucking math if he was going to get employment in no, any official not capacity. Math. Like, oh, shit. So just, you need a degree, son. So Jack started attending night school and quickly failed to show up and dropped out. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not his thing. What's it, eight times eight? Uh, fuck you. Sixty-four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Math check. Fuck off. I'm not, I'm not a math guy. Oh, me either. I'm Don't math check me. Don't math check. Um, I didn't, on top of everything else, like his relationship with Candy was fraying at this point. A couple years in, uh, you know, the two separated a month after he lost his security clearance. Mm. But he was kind of fucking miserable to live with in those times. Yeah. Uh, Candy left for an artist colony in Mexico and uh, San Miguel de Allende. Something like that. Um, She's got to be free to roam. Yeah, and they're like they had an open relationship and shit. And she she always needed to be free to do her own shit, you know. Yeah, I get that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, now, but now Jack's alone again in the coach house. No security clearance. No rockets. No OTO. Mm-mm-mm. No magic. Um, all alone. He, so little old Jack, all alone. He supported himself by uh, bootlegging nitroglycerin. Okay. Which is thing he'd done before. Feds. We're probably right in having a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> totally right. And then taking turns working as a gas station attendant, which just seems to be where Sweet. wizards end up. Yes. <laughs> Wilfred Smith. Honestly, yeah. I've had a lot of friends that are like gas station attendants, some of the coolest fucking people. Yeah, man, they just need some money. <laughs> I just need some yeah, money. Yeah, for um, What even is nitroglycerin? Extremely volatile ex- uh, explosives. It's the thing in movies that like, oh, don't drop this. And yeah. if you drop it, you blow the fuck up. Nah. Meh. And like this, like, it's a very stupid thing to do, but it's important to remember that Jack was born in 1914. Yes. This is post-World War II. Shit changed then. A lot changed Before World in War a II, short time. Right. Before World War II, you could do that. You could have security clearance and smuggle nitroglycerin. Everyone was doing weird shit like that. 
communications getting faster, shit like that. So it's not like he was just totally flaunting or like he was some fucking explosive dealer or whatever. He's just, just making some bootleg nitroglycerin. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> he was also worked as a fucking gas station wizard. He worked at a gas station. Um, he was a mechanic for a time, a janitor. And then for a while, some fucking how, he was also a faculty member at the University of Southern California Department of Pharmacology. Okay. Because he was also really good at making drugs. Yeah. Like, that's probably why he literally okay. got as a faculty the University of Southern California Department of Pharmacology making drugs. All right. In official capacity for like two years. And that's literally all I know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just part time. Maybe he's just coming in to fuck with chemicals. I don't know. But he was alone and adrift. And so he jumped back into magic, which is where you go when you need to find control. Yes. He was intent on completing the degrees of the AA. Just like Crowley, he was intent on giving himself the degrees, doing mm-hmm. the things and proving to himself or to everyone else that he could do it. You know, crossing the abyss, which is a big concept that is a big concept in the Lama that I'm not going to explain. But it's, you can imagine from the imagery. Yes. The dissolution of the ego. Crossing that, the abyss. You yeah, kind of get it. From you the- kind of get it. And you have to do that in order to attain union with the universal consciousness. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Therefore, becoming a master of the temple. So he just started doing a bunch of sex magic with prostitutes. Okay. Crowley did the same thing. He's just following after Crowley. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after doing this. Something to do. Well, after about 40 days of this. uh, 40 days and 40 nights. (laughs) Unless I'm pulling that number out of my ass, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So biblical. I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing. That's that's what you got to do, dude. Oh, I like love that's, it. Yeah. No, yeah, but it's true. It is, yeah. Connor it's, Murphy did it. It's how did they, 40 days of fasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Parsons is doing 40 days of fucking. Yeah. With prostitutes, you have no idea what the hell he's doing. Yeah. And Crowley did the same thing. Right. <laughs> they might not be fucking. You don't know what they're you doing. You don't know what the fuck they're doing. Um, and then Babylon called to him again. He had an out-of-body experience. He might have eaten poopy during this time. I mean, you know, maybe he should have. Because as we know... Guess what, people? This is what you must understand. There are excellent benefits in eating poop. <laughs> are you happy now? I'm happy. <laughs> I'm just saying, after 40 days, and, you know, you're trying to reach, like, divine ecstasy or whatever, yeah. like, you're really experimenting with magic at a certain point, and you're trying to, you know, reach the highest level of AA and follow in Crowley's footsteps, here's something that you might do. Eat poop. They are fucking completely right. Yeah, no, he probably ate poop. If he was going to go full follow... You know, ascended... Master John McAfee. He's also. in the same boat. So, you know, we really can't fault these these poo-poo gurus. Had more than now one. Now I'm thinking things I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Jack Parsons didn't eat poop. I refuse to believe it. That's, we just, we made that up. We cut, that's no, made that up from whole don't, cloth. Yeah. Don't take it as a Unsubstantiated fact. rumor. And unlike others, I'm not going to print that. <laughs> I think that there's a there's an above zero percent chance. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, indisputably, there's yeah. a greater than zero chance. Yeah, you fall into madness. You're searching for meaning. It's just something that seems to happen sometimes. Poop might fall in your mouth. Yeah. 
That's enough. Moving on. I mean, literally, there's not even any rumors of Jack eating poop. There's rumors of other fucked up shit, but <laughs> this is not also, one of them. Also, we're just creating another one right now. <laughs> Fucking adding to the problem. Don't uh, believe it. So not true. But Babylon called to him again for the first time in years, mm-hmm. right? Another of his lowest points. This is one of those periods that like people don't like to talk about too much because it makes him look fucking insane. That's okay. Yeah. So this is a excerpt from what he wrote about uh, this out-of-body experience with Babylon calling to him and having this whole interaction with him. Um, and I went to the sunset with her sign and into the night past accursed and desolate places and cyclopean ruins and so came at last to the city of Chorazin and there a great tower of black basalt basalt? basalt? black basalt was raised that was part of a castle whose further battlements reeled over the gulf of stars and upon the tower was the sign and one heavily robed and veiled showed me the sign and told me to look and behold I saw flash below me four past lives wherein I had failed in my object, and I beheld the life of Simon Magus, preaching the whore Helena as the Sophia, and I saw that my failure was in hubris, the pride of the spirit, and I saw my life as Gil Duretz. Gil Duretz, Gil Duray was like the first serial killer, um, but might have actually just been a, a male witch who was being persecuted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wherein I attempted to raise Joan of Arc to be a queen of the witchcraft. Completely fucking made up everything about Joan of Arc and the Queen of the Witch. That's, I don't know what the fuck that is. And failed through her stupidity and again my pride. And I saw myself in Francis Hepburn, not a real person, Earl Bothwell manipulating Gellis Duncan. That was an, untrust, an untrustworthy instrument. And again is Count Caligri- Caligliostro failing because I failed to comprehend the nature of women in my se- Serafina. Count Caligliostro might have been the real person that Helena Blavatsky based the character of St. Germain on. There's a solid chance of that. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's talking about seeing in this out-of-body experience these past lives. Past lives in which he fails failed in. the divine feminine, mm. which is a very specific, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I was shown myself as a boy of 13 in this life, invoking Satan and showing cowardice when he appeared. And I was asked, will you fail again? And I replied, I will not fail, for I had given all my blood to Babylon, and it was not that I spoke. And then Jack declared himself the Antichrist, and took the oath of the abyss before Wilfred T. Smith, and swore a second oath, the oath of the Antichrist, and took a new magical name, Balarion Armillus al-Dajjal. Which Balarion, it's so fucking stupid. (laughs) <laughs> it's fucking stupid you just gotta die to yourself to be reborn sometimes I like guess. those past lives and shit like those weren't real accounts of those past lives oh no two of those people just, didn't even exist it's his version he's of, losing it you know like this is actually when he's it's an out of body yeah. experience yeah but then he in his real body went to Wilfred T. Smith and said Wilfred I need to take the oath of the antichrist and he gave him this name Balerion uh, is a version of Belial a demon uh huh Armillus is a, it comes from a Judaic concept of an Antichrist type figure, and Al-Dajjal is the Muslim uh, Antichrist. Now this is edgy. It's, no, it is. And it's, and I understand why people don't expound on this in like biographies and shit. Like Strange Angel rushes by this part. He's exploring his shadow side. He's 32 and he's, be, he's just fucking losing it, you know? I don't know. I'll be there in six months. It's fine. 
Okay, here's the thing. I don't, no, I, I don't I understand think that where you're doing from these too. things yeah. means that you're losing it necessarily. I think that it could. If you're not like if you're not also being grounded. He was ungrounded <laughs> in this and I think yeah. that that's the thing. Like I I definitely understand where you're coming from with that and I think that this could be and I think it was important for him as development because he right developed some philosophical ideas about it but I, I think it's also he's not on solid ground. Right. I don't necessarily want to make fun of him for it but it's also funny to make fun of your heroes like you know for sure for sure um and he's, like he's not he's not maintaining groundedness he's not um he writes a manifesto of the antichrist okay in which he predicts among other things so that he's not just like coming up with this alter ego to explore his shadow side he's shouting like, from the rooftops he's he's truly fully leaning into this mm-hmm and like with full sincerity. Briefly, but with full sincerity. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That is a important distinction. Yes, to make. yes. Briefly, but with full sincerity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he predicts in the manifesto of the Antichrist, he predicts that he will lead a whole nation. He will lead a whole nation to embracing Thelema within nine years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It is full of Father really, Time of, says yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he there is a certain thing in one of the fucking ridiculous things he wrote about how you need to survive the next seven years in order for this to happen. And he doesn't. He just doesn't. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. So um, the contract was voided. Right. Um You know, the manifest of the Antichrist does have some very valid criticisms of the Abrahamic faiths. And the idea of Christ as an entity. Plenty. I don't, I do not disagree. Yeah. And in fact, I might say that in an archetypal character sense, Jack is the antithesis to the Christ figure in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. The destructive Christ in a lot of ways. A pure soul that brings destruction. Right? He comes down by 1949. Like, he get he gets out of that mode. By All right. Uh, and at the Snaps end. Snaps out of it. Yeah. And at the end of analysis of a master of the temple. Which he wrote to himself as Balerion embodied. So he was now getting into the idea of understanding that it was a character and shit. Oh, when good. He comes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, and this is the part that no one ever quotes: the end of analysis of a master of the temple, the second person autobiography, right? Which is only like two pages. It's not autobiography; like it's just a document to himself, like for real. Uh, I don't know. But writing as Balerion to himself, he writes at the very end, chapter eight, instructions. A works of the wand. Of the will alone avail in the state. No other weapon should be used. No other ritual save the hymn to the unnamed one in the anthem of the mass. Just the will. No magical tools. No fucking props. Just your own personal knowledge of God is basically what he's saying. Right. right? So no more chalk. Right. B. You should be meticulous in all observations pertaining to the will, even the most petty. Fulfill all obligations and promises. Undertake nothing which you cannot fulfill. Be prompt in the discharge of each responsibility. Do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. 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 C. Be neat in your personal and domestic habits. Indicate your self-respect to yourself. Keep your room clean. Yeah. D. (laughs) D. Do not become unduly involved with any persons and practice all your hard-earned wisdom in your relations with women. E. Set up your personal affairs in business order. Keep your accounts current and your papers neatly filed. F. Finish your poetry for publication. Finish the synthesis of the tarot and start work on the preparation of the lessons of class instruction from your book. The witchcraft philosophy is developing. G. Pay no attention to any phenomena whatsoever and continue in a sober and responsible way of life under all circumstances. 
not magical. For you, nothing is more magical. Only thus can the curse of Saturn be overcome. I see you hate this way, but it is an ultimate time. It is you that have taken the oath. The choice is me or Koranzon. I await you in the city of the pyramids. Valerian. Ooh, I really felt that last one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great like little to-do list for himself. Yeah. It's very real. And I mean, I think maybe this touches on why I'm so compelled by Jack's story. Because you've seen my clown-ass astrological chart. Uh-huh. It's the Saturn thing is a very, is like an idea that I've fucking thought a lot about mm-hmm. in my life. Because I'm a very scatterbrained fucking person. Yeah. You know, I'm an imaginative, I'm a dreamer, fucking, I'm an ADHD rattled fucking emotionally unstable piece of shit with a quick brain. Just like Jack Parsons. Just like a lot of fucking dudes. And like those are like, I'm not a genius. I'm just saying I'm fucking, I'm a fucking mess a lot of times. Well, I think what he's saying in that last point is, hey, I know that it's really hard to stay tethered to material reality because it's super not as fun as your imagination and all this magical shit. It's, I know it's not as nearly as fun. Yeah. But fuck you were born into this 3d vessel you're on earth so you better make peace with this earthly existence even though i know you want to float away we just gotta find a way to capture that magic and and bring it into this earthly realm and what he's doing is allowing it to compartmentalize in a way that is inherently magical inside of him his mind right and and with this like with this magical nature to the fact that he needs to be in the material world Right. So it is yeah. then necessarily always magical, which I totally yeah. get. I get I it fully so hundred percent. I like, yeah. get that. I understand it. I, too, would rather just like float around the realm of fantasy mm-hmm. all day. But no, I got to <laughs> take care of my body and shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, are you saying the choice is me, his higher self, his idealized heroic self as mm-hmm. the Antichrist? Or Koranzan, the demon of ultimate chaos and annihilation. That the Antichrist part of himself is telling him the exact shit that he needs to know in order to just like survive. Because Christ, Antichrist, fuck Jesus, is a stupid fucking character. (laughs) But like, it's the, it's just his idealized version of himself. Mm -hmm. He hates the patriarchal nature of the Christian church. He fucking hates it. I understand. It sucks. And I don't know, like, I feel like his version of the Antichrist is closest to so-called like christ consciousness or whatever yeah the the purity of being right it's either the purest form of jack or it's chaos and annihilation yeah right it's interesting so around this time 1949 uh andrew haley former ceo of aerojet threw a lavish party for um the rocketeers when frank molina briefly came back to the u.s with his new wife, also named Marjorie, which is weird. Same birthday, same wife. Name, same wife. Whoa. Name. Yeah. Um, and all the old gang was there. Like, all of the old Rocketeers. Ed Foreman was there. Frank Molina was there. Fucking uh, Martin Summerfield was there. Fucking Amo Smith was there. Uh, Andrew Haley was fucking drunk and Falstaffian and fucking... Uh, and as in the days of old, Andrew Haley coaxed Jack up onto his small balcony and had him recite the Ode to Pan. Ah, classic. Yeah. yeah. I'll just say a couple lines just to remember. You know, it's the old Eopan, Eopan shit. Mm-hmm. So Jack got brought up onto the fucking rickety old, the tiny little balcony overlooking the party full of rocketeers, Caltech friends and shit. And he started reciting the poem. Thrill with lissom lust of the light. 
O man, my man, come careering out of the night of Pan, Eopan, 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 come over the sea from Sicily and and Arcady, roaming with Bacchus with fawns and pards and nymphs and satyrs for thy guards, on a milk-white ass, come come over the sea, to me, to me. Yeah. Yep. It's just early poetry. Jack loved that thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, contrary to the days of old when Jack would start getting into the hymn to Pan, eventually the drunk Caltech dude would start throwing bottles at him and start singing the fucking school song or whatever the fuck, the JPL anthem, whatever the fuck they had. This time, when Jack finished, there was just dead silence. What? Dead crowd. No, it was... There was no jeers and bottles and laughter, like... It wasn't Jack's amusing quirkiness anymore. It was it was everyone in that moment was thinking about the pre-war days and the 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 old, the old days, uh, uh-huh. the future that never came, right? They're imagining the last time they were hearing that, dreaming of the future that is then for all of them now turned out to just be an illusion. Be nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Molina later recalled, I shall never forget him doing this. And it was the last time the two men would see each other. Really? Yeah. Uh, Why was it so disillusioning? Just because of it, the uh, horrors of war or what? None of them were at Aerojet or JPL anymore. Mm-hmm. It had all been forced out. You had fucking Warner von Braun, the Nazi, doing American, the American yeah. rocketry and shit, right? A lot of the military situation had gotten fucking post-war spooky, right? Yeah. It was dark. It was a dark to the Cold War. I mean, fucking the nuclear bomb was loose. Mm-hmm. The dreams of space travel and shit seemed to be completely shattered. Like they seemed- that, It's that's, not an optimistic period. They all wanted to go to the moon. At this point right here, they thought that the whole world never cared about going to space. They only wanted to blow each other up with nukes using their technology. Right. Yeah, I too would be a bit disillusioned. And one by one, their friends were dropping like flies to the fucking Red Scare. Right? Mm-hmm. Real shortly after this party, fucking Frank Molina got fucking indicted by the House on American Activities Committee. And he went back to Europe, failed to show up to testify before Congress. And so he got like charged by Congress with like whatever fucking failing to show up. Right. A lot of fucking people were getting got by the Red Scare. Yeah. Jack, even in an attempt to repair his fucking uh, reputation, he actually fingered fucking Sidney Weizenbaum, the dude who had was instrumental in turning the philosophy talks him and Frank used to have into communist meetings and tried yeah. to get him to join the Communist Party. He fucking outed him to uh, the, the Un-American Activities Committee. I Yikes. can't. Yeah. Like, I'm. I have to include that because, like, that's a fucking moral failing. And yeah, I can't support is. that. Yeah. You don't. Snitches get fucking stitches. <laughs> Fuck off. I hate communists, but you don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would never fuck out a communist to a goddamn fascist. And I don't like either. Mm-mm. But he was probably also in a room with a bunch of feds and like, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. it was like. I don't know. You I don't, don't know what I would do in that situation. So fucking. We whatever. surely do not. But intent on once again repairing his reputation, Jack testified to a closed court about the nature of Thalema and how it was very much in line with American ideals. It was anti-fascist and anti-communist. 
for some fucking reason, maybe because he gave up a couple communists. They were like, um, okay. Yeah. They, he was allowed to work in science again. He had a job at the Hughes Aircraft Company. And well, he, like he, Howard, had, a, he had um an important mind. Mm hmm. A valuable well, mind. Honestly, not anymore. Because <laughs> seriously, at this point, like he didn't have a degree. He wasn't up on current science. He had to spend most of his the last years doing magic. His rocketry was very crude. Yeah. Like he had his important discoveries and contributions, which remained important discoveries and contributions, but he didn't stay current. I guess he had a valuable status. Yes. He he very much did have that. Yeah. And he wasn't like content just being at that Hughes Aircraft Company, which was run by like Howard Hughes, you know, the famous fucking crazy guy. Mm-hmm. So he had he wrote to Theodore von Karman and was like, "How about uh, d- do you know anyone anyone else might be looking for a rocketeer outside of America? Because I gotta get out of here." Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he made some contacts in Israel through Theodore von Karman, and he made a plan with these Israeli dudes because they were trying to. They told him they were trying trying to start a rocketry program in Israel, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he made plans to get the Israelis some information, like basically pricing figures, just like numbers. You need this much of this, this much of this, and this much of this uh, from his research at Hughes Aircraft. And um, they in turn dangled the carrot that he could be help them found their own rocket program. And she was like, "Fuck yeah, I I, I love Hebrew, right?" Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Perfect. Um. But he was a relic. Jack was a fucking pre-war relic of this, even though he was only in his 30s. Right, even though he's super young. Right. And so he just, like, had his secretary copy some documents of his, like, his own research and shit, his own his own stuff, but it was property of Hughes Aircraft. Mm. And this fucking secretary, she gets so scared that he might be a communist. Oh, come on. Yeah, dude. And so- Oh, you little wimp. Dude, so she fucking rats on him. Oh my goodness. Which is kind of fitting since he just did rat on a communist. Yeah. But still, come on. Come, come on. on. Uh, yeah, and Hughes Aircraft didn't like this at all. Hmm. Jack really swore. He's like, I, I I don't know. It's just my work. I, it's just like, I need a copy of this. Like, I was going to check with the fucking, I was going to check with the, with the military before I fucking, you know, sent it off. I just thought, I just thought, huh. But this was like, Really, when Joe McCartney was fucking slamming on fucking desks and shit, and like now all of it started to. This is 1949. Mm-hmm. You know, right? This is Cold War is really starting now. Um, yeah, he was just stripped of his security. Wait, you're in a sex cult? Now they cared about the sex cult. Yeah. You're in a sex cult? You just fucking blow shit up? You just copy and dodge? You're going to give them to the goddamn Israelis? You do know those, those Israelis are in contact with the USSR. Those specific dudes you've been talking to are in contact. Fuck you. You're done. You're you're out. We're stripping you of your shit. Again. Pack your shit and leave. Well, it was actually Hughes Aircraft that kicked him the fuck out and then sent the case to whatever committees or whatever. And it, uh-huh. they took a couple years to actually review it. Uh-huh. But like he was for the moment done. But he kind of accepted it. He was like, fuck it. Like, yeah, all I'm, right. I'm I done guess trying. I'm out. I guess I'm fucking out. He uh, started it, started his own company. He did the thing you should have done a fucking long time ago. Yeah. Uh, making, yeah. Why did it take this long? I don't know. Making He was making chemical special effects for Hollywood films. Yeah. Just do your own fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. And be your own boss. And a rare twist of things kind of working out. I, Candy had come back and they had reconciled. And like 
he he had a, a girlfriend named Gloria for a little bit, but like she was she she was actually just the stand-in, mm. you know. But Candy had come back. She someone I'm one of their friends af- asked her like because she came back and she was like just hanging out in their house where Jack was living with this this other woman and like so one of their friends was like, "Well, what do you think about Gloria?" And Candy was like, "I think she gives she gives the house a nice feminine touch." Just deadpan. Yeah. Was like, <laughs> but they reconciled. She's kept and, him company. Yeah. It's good. And they were like, all right, yeah, no, let's do this for real. Like, they reconciled and moved back into a coach house in Pasadena on Orange Grove Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Back Take to, two. Back to where it all started. Like, this is where he has back lived. to the beginning. Right? Like, yeah. he has been on Orange Grove his whole fucking life. Mm-hmm. And here, the two threw parties. They brewed absinthe. They hung out late into the night with Ed yeah, Foreman and Bob Cornog yes. and fucking Perfect. Andrew Haley lived like next door again. And all the A old gang to was- form, if you will. Yeah. They were sometimes out in the garden playing bongos until 6 a.m. as cops kept coming to tell them to turn it down. And then they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they leave. They start playing fucking bongos again. The cops come back all night long, right? They're mm-hmm. in their 30s. Like, this is groovy as shit. Again, they uh, rented out- uh, bedroom to uh this actor greg gancy and his partner martin foshog uh like a couple of bed one bedroom up uh on the second floor and jack kept a laboratory on the first floor he had a warehouse where he did his like production via his personal laboratory still at his home and this is when jack and candy started developing their own magical order and philosophy called the witchcraft which blended folk traditions um the newly discovered nakamati gnostic text because this is only a couple years after the nakamati texts are discovered that's a future episode yes it is and Jack's own fundamentalist interpretation of Thelema. Yeah. The OTO was essentially gone at this point. Carl Germer, who was left in charge with Grady McMurtry being told that he'd be in charge when Carl Germer died. Um, but Carl was just a better money man. Dude, Germer didn't do shit. He just fucking let it fall apart and just like only sold Crowley books and just didn't fucking. Yeah. Yeah. So at, the OTO is gone at this point. At this point, Jack is like. Basically forging his own uh, spiritual path. Yeah. Him, Jack and Marjorie. Yeah. Then that's uh, that's very, very important. And I think that was very important to them as well. Like it had a lot to do with Marjorie's input. Yeah. She actually took later on, she would uh, take the name Hilarion. I love it. As one of the OG Ascended Masters too. I know. God damn it. I know. Mm-hmm. But like, so they started teaching classes and like which is funny because l ron hubbard was teaching dianetics classes at the same time and jack was aware of it but like l ron hubbard was charging like four hundred dollars for a fucking class jack was charging 10 yeah dead bucks much yep. more affordable yep a lot more back in the day but hey he doesn't really have a job he's got a special effects company he needs the money mm-hmm. you know i really think he would have been a fucking powerful force as a writer and thinker like this is such a good foundation from which to build something right here yeah. Back in Orange Grove, right next door to fucking Andrew Haley. Again, Ed Foreman. So fuck, he's just had to, you're just drinking with that again. Like, yeah, I've been, you know. Then in January of 1952, the review of his security case came back from whatever fucking stupid committees. They stripped him of his security clearance and it was permanent. No chance of ever getting it back. He was fucking done. And they literally, done so. he, he was seen as a religious fanatic, a danger to himself, others in the American fucking way. What a label to have. Yeah, no, it was you. like it's so Holy harsh. Shit. In contrast to right post-war where they're like, <laughs> it's just Jack, you know? 
this was cracking down. You're a fucking danger to yourself, others, and national security. Fuck yeah. you. You're never working in science again. Whoa. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess, yeah, time to forge a completely different path. As was his pattern, he snapped into a Jack snapped into a blessedly brief period of instability. But this time Candy was there and she was able to quickly get him out of the same thing that led to himself calling the Antichrist. You know, this fucking pattern mm-hmm. see. She convinced him that they should go down to the artist colony in Mexico for a few months just to fucking hard reset. Yeah. Yeah. Good and idea. Symbolically leave all the bullshit behind. Right? It's an excellent idea. Yeah, it's a fucking great idea. Uh, Jack gave the lease of the coach house over to Greg Gancy and Martin Foshog, and he and Candy moved in with uh, Jack's mother, Ruth. Jack kept the laboratory on the first floor of the coach house, though, and would just go over and, and make shit. In the months leading up to the trip to Mexico, Jack wrote a letter to Carl Germer, which I think reveals what he kind of thought about Carl Germer and the whole thing. No doubt you will be delighted to hear from an adept who has undertaken the operation of his HGA, Holy Guardian Angel, in, a, in accord with our traditions. The operation began auspiciously with a chromatic display of psychosomatic symptoms and progressed rapidly to acute psychosis. The operator has altered satisfactorily between manic hysteria and depressing melancholy stupor on approximately 40 cycles, and satisfactory progress has been maintained in social ostracism economic collapses, and mental disassociation. (laughs) These statements are not mentioned in any vainglorious spirit of conceit, but rather that they may serve as comfort and inspiration to other aspirants on the path. They do. Yeah. They really do. Now I'm off to the wilds of Mexico for a period, also in pursuit of the elusive HGA, before before winding up in the guard via the booby hotels, the graveyard, or... question mark. If the final... You can tell all the little practicuses that I wouldn't have missed it for anything. Signed, no one, once called 210. Fantastic. That is the most scathing renunciation of all the system- systematic bullshit. Uh-huh. You know, oh, it's just, it's so fucking sarcastic. Oh, it's good. Mm-hmm, I like it. I like it. It's my favorite letter of his so far. Mm-hmm. It's fucking funny. And mature. It's good. Yeah. Everyone around Jack said that the Mexico trip he was planning was giving him a new lease on life. Von Karman wrote him a glowing letter of recommendation. I think he was trying to get a rocket job in Mexico. Uh, but Von Karman wrote the glowing letter of recommendation with the caveat that Jack needed to work independently and wasn't suited for office work. You know? I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I have to 100%. Jane Wolfe recalled a visit Jack paid to her. He said, I am finished here. There is nothing more for me to do, so I'm going away. And then as he was leaving, he grinned and said... But I shall come back. On June 16th, 1952, Jack and Candy were planning to leave for Mexico. Their car was packed, and there was just a tiny bit more shopping to do. They were supposed to leave that day. That very day. However, that morning, Jack got a call from the Special Effects Corporation. They needed a rush order and asked if he was willing to prepare something before he left. Jack agreed and asked Candy to finish the rest of the shopping. At 5 p.m., Jack was still working and getting frustrated with how much time it was taking. He was trying to go to Mexico that day. Candy was still out, and Greg Gancy came downstairs. He was having dinner with uh, Martin and uh, Martin's mother upstairs, and he asked Jack how things were going. He remembers Jack being a bit frustrated and just kind of short, but as Gancy left, he said, he said to Jack, For God's sake, Jack, don't blow us up. And Jack grinned and said, Don't worry about it. At 5.08 p.m., Residents of Pasadena heard two almost simultaneous and incredibly loud explosions. 
Smoke poured from the coach house. Debris and broken glass were scattered across the lawn. The walls were fucking blown out. Like, it was fucking destroyed. There was plumes of smoke Mm -hmm. coming from the house. And Jack Parsons lay broken and bloody in a pile of rubble. His right arm was entirely vaporized, as was the right side of his face. They never recovered his arm, and they believe it was just disintegrated. Jesus Christ. His legs were broken. His ribs were shattered. Uh, Yet somehow, he was conscious. Greg Gancy called the police, and Martin Foshog tried to remove the hypodermic needles left around the lab. Some people think Jack was doing drugs. Other people think it was lab equipment. Both will be valid. Yeah. Jack's friends didn't ever see him doing any drugs at this point in his life, though. Eh, it's irrelevant if he it's was irrelevant. wasn't. Yeah, you know, it really it doesn't is. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Greg Gancy saw that someone needed to tell Jack's wife, so he drove to where they lived, which also happened to be Jack's mother's house. Mm-hmm. Candy wasn't there. Ruth was. Um, Ruth heard the news that her son might not make it, and she fucking broke. At this point, Jack has now been rushed to the hospital, and reporters and police are swarming the coach house. Into this fucking madness, uh, Marjorie Cameron arrives in the car, all packed for their trip to Mexico. The reporters swarm her. All she can say is, we are leaving for Mexico today. Yeah. Um, Just the worst fucking timing. Yeah. Uh, she, she fends him off and she drives to the hospital. By the time she arrives, she's informed that her husband, John Whiteside Parsons, has been declared dead. Mm-hmm. He was 37 years old. Four hours later, Ruth Parsons took her own life with sedatives. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. There's some reports of Jack's last words, but others say that his fucking face was destroyed and he didn't get to say anything. You know, that's kind of what I believe. That's so brutal. Yeah. That really is like, oof. It's fucking awful. Chaos and destruction. Yeah. Consumed by fire. Yeah. First reported as a tragedy, the story was very quickly turned into tabloid gossip. God. Headlines read, slain scientist, priest, and black magic cult. And it was such bullshit. Oh, God. Yeah. There was no funeral for Jack Parsons. The OTO held a ceremony. Betty was there, now divorced from Elrond. Jack was cremated, and Candy scattered his ashes into the Mojave Desert. Oh, I'm going to insert this funny bit earlier on, or maybe leave it here, because that's just stupid. Yeah. Jack told the writer, El Sprague de Camp, um, that... Hubbard actually sent him a letter like a couple years before his death. Uh huh. Offering Betty back because he didn't want to deal with what her the anymore. Hell? <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. Hey, uh, would you mind taking her off my hands? I'm done. You can have her back. I'm done with her. Yeah, I've like, had enough. The ball's on you, Elrond. Wow. What the fuck? Fuck you. Jack was laughing when he said it. Like, he, yeah. he, couldn't, believe, he couldn't believe it either. That is hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. In the years following his death, culture and countercultural alike had forgotten Jack Parsons the man and chose to instead to remember the legend. The sensational and true details of his life didn't help with that part. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and after the discovery of his Babylon writings and the frequent allusions to death and being transformed into living and being flame, the Antichrist, yeah. you know, but it's all very Jack Parsons easy to sensationalized. He took on a supernatural quality in the eyes of the people that didn't actually know him. 
Mm-hmm. Many refuse to believe his death was accidental. Jane, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Jane Wolfe and Wilfred Smith both thought it was suicide, but suicide, as Jane Wolfe put it, um, assisted by the subconscious, which, sure. like, sure, I don't know. Yeah, like, that's all I have to say to that. Okay. okay. Others believe he had been assassinated by the government for some fucking reason. Yeah, okay. They would have just grabbed him. Yeah. Or shot him twice in the back of the head. No, this they was, do that. This was truly just like a fucking a terrible cosmic joke because it's the worst timing. Um, Ed Foreman, who knew Jack and Jack's working manner, put it simply, quote, Jack used to sweat a lot and the damn thing fell out of his hand and blew him up. Yeah. yeah. That's that's it's it. It's amazing that it took this long for it to happen. Yeah. And, you know, there's, that's the thing, man. You, you There's, there's a bad decision that will blow you the fuck up. You don't know which one, it, which one it is. The Lord comes like a thief in the night, right? Uh-huh. So just try to make the good decision always because you don't know which one's going to fuck true. you over. Mm. Um, don't wait too long. Yeah. In later years, Marjorie Cameron would go on to have a huge impact as an outsider artist in the proto-hippie days of San Francisco. She actually did lose her fucking mind, um, come to believe that she was Babylon and start a cult in which she- Good for her. Uh, there's something about separating groups of people by race into different suits Oy. and like specifically instructing uh, black men and white women to breed to start a super race. We'll catch up with her sometime in the future because she is yeah. worth talking about. Yeah. 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 That sounds very interesting. I yeah. Mean, I'm interested. Yeah. 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 Um, under Carl Gurman's leadership, the OTO fucking died. And it wasn't until the 1970s that Grady McMurtry would produce a letter from Crowley and in true fucking magical drama that no one ever cares. <laughs> no one cares. But like they got to do it. It's the way you got to do things. You know, he would declare himself the caliph of the OTO and then and restart it because he didn't even hear that carl germer had that's how dead the oto was he didn't hear that carl germer died until years after carl oh germer my died fucking yeah, yeah, yeah everybody's just so tuned out yeah, yeah but he fucking he was waiting though like he was waiting in the wings mm-hmm. and unhappy with what the oto was doing but he got back in touch with helen parson smith who is a dedicated thelemite dedicated yeah. oto member she she really she was more of a thelemite than jack was really which is funny and those two would be instrumental in getting Crowley's tarot deck, the Book of Thoth, the one I use, the one we've, we've used for this this series, published roughly 30 years after the Great Beast's death. Yeah. Right? Helen Parsons Smith is directly responsible, instrumental in getting the Thoth tarot deck published, just as she is with fucking rockets. <laughs> Goddamn, Helen. Yeah. I fucking love you. <laughs> I really do. Nah, she's great. Frank Molina would become a very successful fucking artist and in 1968 revived Jack Parsons' status as a legendary rocket engineer in a speech at JPL. It was the first time that JPL acknowledged him. They scrubbed him and he ended his fucking speech with giving special thanks to acknowledgement to Jack Parsons, who he said hadn't gotten his due. Which, fuck yeah, He Frank. hadn't. He hadn't. Yeah. Ed Foreman had a hard go of it. He worked and had a life and had a family, but he was haunted. His wife said he became a totally different person. Um, as boys, Jack and Ed made a pact that should one of them die, that person would make contact from the spirit plane. Two years following Jack's death, Ed Foreman drove into the desert. He would later confide to his family that as he drove, as he drove, he felt a presence in the back of his car that he was sure was Jack Parsons. And like, you know, whatever. But his daughter Lynn said 
And quote, he knew it was Jack, even though no words passed between them. It really scared him. After that, he didn't want to communicate with Jack again. Just oh. yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah freaky. Um, when asked about all the occult stuff by his daughters, Ed said, end quote, he still kept the Crowley books and the occult books on his bookshelf, but when asked about him by his daughters, Ed said, it's all real. It all works. Don't touch it. You could, you'll get yourself in real trouble. <laughs> his wife recalled that every now and then, Ed would stop and ask if she could hear a long, persistent wailing sound. She never could. Mm. The banshee in Ed's mind stayed with him until his death in 1971. God, at the age that's of 60. so spooky. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Spooky okey. But had Jack lived, he would have seen something miraculous. By the mid 1950s, humanity had once again endeavored to, as Jack put it, claim its ancient heritage, the stars. Mm-hmm. In 1957, Sputnik, the first man made celestial object, was launched into orbit. In 1961, Yuri Gagarin became the first human being in space. July 20th, 1969, the crew of Apollo 11 landed on the moon, the first humans in the history of our species to set foot on a rock that wasn't Earth. And they did so with the fucking children of the rocket fuel that Jack Parsons had invented yeah. in a moment of inspiration. Lunar module. Armstrong is on the moon. Yeah, Neil Armstrong, 38-year-old American standing on the surface of the moon on this July 20th, 1969. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. Two years later, Apollo 15 would visit the moon again, touching down at Hadley Rill. As before, their landing was televised. And Commander Dave Scott said this. Dave, an extraordinary television picture here. Okay, uh... Okay, Houston, as I stand out here in the wonders of the unknown at Hadley, I sort of realize there's a fundamental truth to our nature. Man must explore. Man must explore. Yeah. Cool. Later in an interview with National Geographic, Dave Scott would flex his, his word muscles again and say, When I look at the moon, I do not see a hostile, empty world. I see the radiant body where man has taken his first steps into a frontier that will never end. Hmm. Yeah. Very poignant. So fucking... Cheers to Jack Parsons. Cheers to Jack Parsons. You fucking did it. Like, at the end of the day, you fucking did it, Jack. Yeah. Like, you fucking did it. And... I think more important than even his contributions to rocket fuel, Jack was able to both dream the impossible, get others and get others to sign on to it, but also not run it like a fucking dictator. He was flexible, too flexible probably. But he was able to inspire people to do a fucking impossible thing. Mhm. And people don't give a shit about space travel anymore. I do. I think they do. I think a lot of people a lot do. Of, a lot of people who should don't, and a lot of people who shouldn't do. <laughs> okay. But, you know, personally, buddy asked me, I don't know what you believe in. He was asked a while back, and I was like, I don't actually believe in anything. Like, I don't, belief is the enemy, right? Yeah, same. But, I, something I believe very, very deeply is that 
it is humanity's as the only the only thing we know of the only life form we know of that can get off this rock it's our sacred and holy duty to do so mm-hmm. yeah with that we should probably think about those tarot cards mm-hmm. i think so so we had the three of swords the queen of cups mm-hmm. nine of cups and the seven of cups yeah we just kind of wing. We were just kind of winging the structure. Like we don't have like a spread we were doing or anything. We didn't decide yeah, to do no. four until the second episode. But. So, one of the super interesting things I found in our research was that, like, in like reading explanations of the goddess Babylon and shit, the she's associated with this sphere on the tree of life, Bina, yeah. which is the third sphere. It is this also the sphere represented by Saturn. It represents the material world the and not just like the stuff but the substrate of reality Re- reality itself is actually a good word for being a the womb into which the light of chokma is poured and which begets the rest of the tree right the three of the three of swords sorrow uh is saturn in libra and it's very interesting jack barson's fucking libra saturn in libra Yes. The sphere of Bina, fucking Babylon, sorrow, dude's violent fucking flaming end. Um, And also his compassion for people and his willingness to see the good in people even when they didn't deserve it. Compassion is the flip side of sorrow and vice versa. The two don't exist without the other. Mm -hmm. In the Queen of Cups, I see the Divine Feminine, essentially. Jack's relationship with women, which is the thing that just informed his entire existence. Yeah. The, The struggle... To reconcile with femininity, I think, is a defining characteristic of his story. Mm-hmm. And the Nine of Fucking Cups is, as we talked about in the Paris Catacombs episode, it's the manifestation of dreams. It's the, the, the bringing into form dreams. Yeah. Which I think is just clearly a thing dude was successful at. And, and <laughs> Very successful yeah. at, yeah. And a lot of fucking people, you see a lot of shit written about Jack Parsons, writing about him as a really bad magician. And it's true. He was fucking sloppy. He got names wrong. He got details wrong. He got, he got results. Yeah. He was true to himself. And like, yeah, it was. it's not about that. Like, it's all, it's all tools, nothing written in stone. Like, mm-hmm. Jack was at the very least a powerful fucking warlock. You know, <laughs> maybe that's a better term than wizard for Jack. And then I think the other great struggle of his fucking life was choosing what dreams to follow. What yeah. illusions to follow? Well, he could enact, as we all can, enact our will upon reality. But it's like, you know, it's hard to know <laughs> what our true will is. Yeah. We can get really um, bogged in the illusions. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't. I, the true will is not something that's easily explainable. Like, you, you're not going to be able to state a sentence that is your true will. Right. You know? And sometimes in order to find out what that is, you have to make a lot of fucking mistakes. And sometimes shit just happens. Yeah. Uh, like, it is certainly fucking spooky how much re- how many references to fire and death and spilling your blood back into the womb of Babylon to get reborn are in the book of Babylon and all that shit. It's fucking spooky. There's a lot of, but like, a lot of times we create self-fulfilling prophecies. Yes. You know? That's the shit that was in Jack's head because- he was fucking Jack Parsons. I mean, I can't say is, was, you know, definitive statements. I don't know the fucking guy, but I don't know. That's what I see. Jesus Christ. 
You did it. Jack fucking Parsons. You did it. We did it. We both did, we did it. it. Yeah. We all did it. And as I knew I would be, I'm left with a very bittersweet feeling about the whole fucking story. Yeah. So much of it is so fucking fun. I think it's... It's also so fucking sad. Yeah, I think it's a good story. But it's 2022. Do it in Dead by Now anyway. Yeah, no, I think he... The trajectory of his life was meant to be his life. I think it's the perfect life for him. Yeah, I'm not going to say that because it's unfair. But I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want to say it. (laughs) I'm glad that it ended at least um, after he made the choice. Yeah. Like, you know... Chill out, to, take a break, yeah, do something to different. to be a fucking person. You know? Yeah. At least, like, <laughs> I don't know. It happened after that. I think that that's good. He didn't cement his place in history as a shitbag like Hubbard did. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Would you rather be Jack or Hubbard? Uh, Jack. Yes, every time. Yeah. Every fucking sure. single time. Absolutely. Jack had so many. I'm going to say this. Of all the people... I've ever heard of had the opportunity to become cult leaders. Jack had it more than anybody. And he and you didn't know what take he did? it. He didn't fucking take it. Did not take it. He might not have known it was an option. He kind of seems to be kind of fucking blind and stupid in that regard. But like, <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, no good. Because <laughs> really, dude, a cult leader that's an explosives expert? Fuck that. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Well, it's been a... Been a hell of a time. Been a hell of a time. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back next week for something else. I'm looking forward to... I, I've secretly been going fucking insane looking into all this. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. you can get a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got some cool stuff coming up. And, yeah. you know, follow us on all the bullshit. Uh, rate us, review us, tell us what you think. Get in touch with us. Be our friend. Tell your friends. Tell your dentist. Tell your lovers. Tell your gurus. Yes. Be well. Take care. Peace out. Peace out.